All right, good morning, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Psalms 140, and I'm not going to promise how far we'll get. We'll do 41 for sure, but I don't, I don't know about 42 and 43. We'll do our best. We'll go at God's speed. How's that? This Wednesday, just a reminder, there's no worship service here or adult Bible study. So the adult Bible study is canceled for this week. They'll pick it up again next Wednesday. And the worship service will be out at the youth camp as we get started and do our kickoff night there. You're welcome to join us for that if you come to Wednesday night service. It's kind of fun to be a a part of that, even if you're not staying out there for the week to help. Um, Just to pray for the kids and to watch them all get started on whatever God has for them this year. And so uh, join us out there at Mazingo Youth Camp. Uh, I put it in the in Facebook, and then uh, also we'll, if you need directions, that's fine. Just type it into Google Maps, put Mazingo Lake Youth Camp, and it'll take you right there. And uh, we'll kick off at 7 o'clock out there. So that's what's going on. After that, next Sunday, um, we have a baptism at the, at the uh, pool out here. We rented the pool, so we'll have a pizza party and baptism out there. You can bring your suits, and not only will we baptize, but we'll also swim for the rest of the night. So a couple hours of swimming and, and fellowship. So join us for that. I think that's all we have coming up. Yes. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Um, This is a day that you've made and and we're going to rejoice in it. We're thankful for it, God. Thankful for the time we get to spend uh, at peace, at your feet, in your word, with each other, Lord. So we pray that you'd speak to us by your spirit. Uh, Would you be our teacher and guide through your scriptures and help us to know the truth and to, uh, to apply it to our lives. Thank you for David as he wrote these psalms for us. As he goes through tough tough times, he he thought it might be beneficial to write something down for other people. And uh, here we are receiving that from him, that blessing, that faithful uh, servant's heart that he had. And uh, Lord, I pray that we'd be able to pass that on also, whatever we learn today to others. In Jesus' name, amen. David writes this Psalm 140 as a a prayer for deliverance from evil men. It is hard to avoid um, reading about conflict in Scripture. Um, it is a battle, and it's a constant battle. We'd like a break from the battle, but it is a constant battle between good and evil all the time. And Satan is busy, and he's always busy, and he's, he knows his time is short. God's hand is on this earth by his Holy Spirit, but also the Holy Spirit that dwells in us as believers. And so we participate in that battle. So when we read Psalms uh, about battling and about evil and about crying out to God for help, David is battling the same battle that we battle today. So there are things that are useful for us to take from this Psalm. Um, I'm going to parallel this Psalm 140 with Nehemiah. I think that's our best example Um, I think, of what a spiritual battle looks like physically, um, as Sanballat and Tobias were the ones that were trying to stop the work of God as the nation of Israel is being brought out of captivity from Babylon. Nehemiah led the third wave out of of Israelites, and they're building the wall, and that's kind of where we will kind of start our comparison. Psalm 140, verse 1. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men, Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. Then it says selah, which means pause. 
Pause for effect. Pause for absorbing what the writer just gave us. It's the most important part of a battle is to realize you have an enemy. It's hard to fight a battle if you don't know you're fighting one, you know? It goes without saying, but oftentimes I can go through this world, even as a pastor, and forget that I'm in spiritual warfare all the time. It doesn't matter where I'm going. I can be lulled into my complacency and not be prayed up for whatever waits for me at Walmart or whatever. But it's coming, whether I'm prepared for it or not. And I think that's one of the most important things about having a quiet time in the morning, or at least having a little time in prayer and some time in His Word in the morning, because it, it gets you thinking in the right direction anyway. That the battle is still raging, and today I'm probably going to have some sort of interaction with this battle. And for the most part, God's word is usually, that he gives you that morning is what you'll use in that battle. And so it's very, very important to equip yourself in the morning. So I encourage you, if you're not having your quiet time in the morning, or you've gotten away with it to get, you know, moved away from it a little bit, to get back into it again, so that you can rage uh, warfare. We want to do that. David's prayer to God is, help me. (laughs) I know what to do. I know what my role is, David says, but he also understands I'm just a man. And without you, I can't, I can't win this battle. It's got to be you and me, you know. I'm not a non-participant. I am a participant, but me and my strength will not accomplish the task. And David learned that a long time ago from when he was watching sheep. He knew it was the Lord that helped him sling stones. It was in that battle with Goliath that he even proclaimed it to anybody that would listen. Both armies heard David say, but it's not going to be me. It's going to be God that's going to defeat this giant today. And so David brings us across in this psalm. God, preserve me. He's not saying protect me from fighting. Like, I want to avoid all conflict in my life. He knows that's unrealistic, and that's not what God's made him for. God's made him into a, he's kind of a renaissance man. I mean, someone who can write poetry and write songs and play the harp and watch sheep. He's agricultural, he's artistic, and then he's also the greatest warrior that Israel's probably ever seen. That's pretty renaissance man there, you know. Got all those bases covered. He says, I know what I'm made for. I'm made to write psalms. I'm made to lead people like I lead sheep. Care for them like I cared for the flocks. To put my life secondary to their well-being. So I also know that that means that I'm going to be a fighter. So God, preserve me when I battle. Because I'm going to battle. And that's important. Keep me, he says in verse 4, O Lord. From the hands of the wicked, preserve me from the violent men who have purposed to make my steps stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me in cords, tripwires, you know. The proud have hidden snares for me in cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me. Selah, pause, think about that, he says. He knows they're there. He knows they're waiting for him, but it doesn't keep him from moving. It doesn't paralyze him, you know. Sometimes we have a decision we have to make. We know one is not going to end well, and the other, you know, the other way is going to be God's way, and you don't want to make the wrong move. And some people get paralyzed at that choice because they're afraid they're going to walk into a snare. David knows I can't stop moving forward with the Lord. I have to keep moving forward with God's plan. So I'm praying, help me choose the right path and to avoid these snares that I know are there. I know they're there. Nehemiah knew that as well. Nehemiah has been a man of prayer in Babylon for a long time, and he is still in Babylon even after Zerubbabel brought the first wave back, and then Ezra brought the second wave back, 
And he asks from a, a traveler who comes back from Israel, how are things going over there? Is, it, you know, is everything happening the way it's supposed to? And they, they give him the bad news. Things are not going well in Israel with the first two groups. And it broke his heart. You know? That's the first thing that happens when God calls you into ministry. He'll break your heart for the matter. He may not release you. He may not equip you even. He may not give you what you think you need or send you on your way right away. But that broken heart is the first part. I remember when we started this church. I remember the night that God broke my heart for Maryville. I was coming back from a Clorinda study. They had a Bible study up in Clorinda. And our house was in Tarkio. Now, don't laugh at me. Because you're going to laugh at me, though. Well, I missed my turn to go to Tarkio coming down from Clorinda. And I just looked at my map, because back then we traveled like pirates. We had Yahoo and paper, and we were watching. So I just looked at the next road that went over, which was 46, through Fairfax and on up. Instead of turning around, I just went through Maryville, got on First Street, and went on back to Fairfax. Now, maybe you don't know what that is, but that's a, a long way around. As I was coming through the downtown area of Maryville, it was a certain night, I'm not going to say which one it was, but there was a lot of bar hopping going on. The streets were packed. I couldn't even move through the square because of it. And I saw the stumbling and the bumbling and the crying women over here whose some heart got broken and all these things happening and my heart broke. Oh, these, these people, they, they have no idea. They desperately need you, Lord. You know? And I began to pray and then I went back to Tarkio and it wasn't for a long time before God freed me up to come here and uh, called us here. But that broken heart, I remember that moment. Um, Nehemiah's heart is broken, but what do, what do I do about it? I'm the cupbearer, you know. Well, in chapter 2, after he's uh, been given permission, the king has said, yes, you can go back. He's prayed to God, and he's been released, and he's heading back with a, with a group of men to come help build the wall. The temple was built, but the wall is not built, and there's problems there. So he's coming back, but here's what he does, and I think this is wise for all of us. We don't have to share everything to everybody. And Nehemiah knew that because he understands something. I have an adversary. I know that people are against this plan. I know why the wall hasn't been built. I know the difficulties the people are having there. And it's because there's an enemy. So I'm not willing to share my plan yet until I have a good handle on what God wants to do. I think that's smart. That's just wise. Here's what he does. Verse 11, chapter 2. So I came, Nehemiah says, to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night... I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. I went out by the night through the valley gate to the serpent well and to the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal under me to pass, so I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Seems like that'd be the first thing you'd do. I'm an, ab, I'm, you know, I'm an ambassador from Babylon now, I'm the third wave coming in. I'm here to help you guys with your plan. Fill me in on what you're doing, where you are in the process, and I'm glad to come in and help along the way. He surveys the entire situation, gathers all the intelligence that he needs for it, 
And then he says, I'm going to wait and see because I don't know who I can share this with and who I can't share this with. We are living in a society where we have, this is a word I probably shouldn't use, diarrhea of the mouth. We can't help but tell everybody everything all the time, what we're feeling, what we're going through. You know, here's the food I ate. I don't care. You know, and I do the same thing. Sometimes I think you guys want to know that I had handballs and mashed potatoes. And you're like, that's great. Like, I guess. I don't know. I didn't. What do I care? And I hate handballs. You know, but we do. We have to share everything all the time. And it's so important. And it makes me feel important, you know. And we don't want our friends to feel bad. So we like and we like, yeah, that's great. I'm glad you had meatballs. That's wonderful. You know? Looks really tasty. Wow. This is a different time, isn't it? different group of people, different mindsets. Like, no, I don't, I don't need to share that. God has given me a plan. God has called me to an action. God is going to do. And Nehemiah had never shies away from doing it on his own if he has to. That's fine. I don't need a group. I don't need 5,000 supporters. I don't have to wait to take action until I make sure that I've got all my ducks in a row. I'm just going to make sure my ducks are in a row, but I don't doesn't make any difference whether anybody's alongside of me or not. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. It's a wonderful, wonderful. Now, he may bring alongside people, and that is a blessing when he does. And, and he does with Nehemiah. But Nehemiah understands the calling is for me. And so he does what he needs to do. And he does. So later on in the story, two verses later, back in Nehemiah, so they said, let us rise up and build after he decides to let everybody know what's going to happen and the order things are going to happen. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will, pro- himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. He's identified his first group of enemies. It's not his last. But as he reveals his plan, the enemy comes and says, you can't do that. He says, okay, got you. He's not afraid of them. He's not worried about them. He's just identified them. You know, very important. When you're doing the work of God, understand that anytime you want to do anything for the Lord, there will be opposition there. It's not going to go unchecked by the other side ever. So he identifies these three guys. They are marked for life. They're never going to get that check mark off their forehead. As far as Nehemiah is concerned, you guys, you know, I got you. There's a whole nother group coming, but he's identified them. Wisdom. I see where there are snares. I see, my, I see my trap layers, my snare layers, my trip line people, the people that want to come against it. They're going to come nowhere near the project. Nowhere near it. Back to Psalms. Verse 6, I said to the Lord, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. Stop them. So now he's beginning to pray. Nehemiah will be, because he's a man of prayer, against these three guys. You know, don't let him come in. Nehemiah chapter 4. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the, uh, the Arab, 
or the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdites, Ashdodites, <laughs> heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored. Remember, they said, this ain't going to happen. Well, it's happening. So now they're coming back. Not only do you get attacked once by these three guys, twice, three times, four times, these guys don't quit. They don't ever stop trying to interrupt the work, trying to get it to, to cease. I think we get, I thought I prayed against those guys. I thought God beat them. Well, he did beat them, but they're coming back. Are you ready for round two and round three and round four? And that can get fatiguing sometimes as we're walking with the Lord. There's a, a wonderful parallel between what's happening in Nehemiah, and I'm not trying not to make this a Nehemiah study, but it's kind of turned into that. There's a wonderful parallel between just the work of God in your life and Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, and how it all starts. The first thing you do is, you, is Ezra builds the temple. You've got to bring the people back, first of all, into the promised land where God says, I want you to be. And then he builds the temple where I want you to worship, and then he builds the protection around that so that they can continue to worship. And every believer, starting from their being born again, goes through that process or is in the midst of that process somewhere along the line. How's your worship? Oh, well, I just barely made it there, but I never feel safe when I'm worshiping. I always feel like I could be attacked at any moment. I feel vulnerable. I feel open. Well, let's start building some walls then. Let's start protecting that quiet time. Let's start protecting that time on Sunday morning, that time in the Word, that time of getting ministered to. Protect it with the wall. Don't let that be per, you know, uh, probed by the enemy. Start finding out where the holes are in your life and begin to fill those up. Take away the gates and the access points that Satan has into your life. You know, it's a, a beautiful picture. So although you get attacked once and you pray against it, sometimes as a believer you get attacked again in the same area or probed from a different area. And thought, I thought I beat that down. Well, no, there's another battle over here. And when does this ever end? It doesn't. The walls are there for a reason. It's because it's a perpetual fight. Even Paul talks about that. And not only from without, but within. My own flesh. As David prays for God to be the strength and be his protection, we see Nehemiah not only believing that and praying that and probably reading this psalm, because understand this psalm was written before Nehemiah went, probably very well knows this Psalm 140. He's probably using it, and we're seeing this in, in real time, him acting out Psalm 140. Anyway, they see the, the walls being built, the gaps were being closed in, that they became very angry. Of course they do. I'm not going to have easy access to, these, to my prey anymore. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. That's how they're fighting this. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. We heard about their plan to bring confusion. This morning you've heard about a plan that Satan wants to bring confusion into your walk with Jesus. Now it's your job to set up a watch just like Nehemiah. Later on in verse 15 of that same chapter 4, And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot of attacking to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Knowing's half the battle. Sometimes they'll still come and fight. Other times when you know the battle's there and you identify it and you look them in the eye and say, I know you hate the work of God 
That's enough. They don't even follow through with their plans anymore. But standing up, preparing, hearing God's word, the warning of his word in your heart, and then acting upon that warning, very important. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. And it's, it's just flat out wisdom. Nehemiah is a wise man. Verse 9, that's for the heads of those who surround me. Let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire. Let into deep pits that they rise not up against. Let let not a slanderer be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent to overthrow him. It's just him saying in another way, I pray their plans come upon their heads, not mine. Lay a snare, fine, but I hope they get caught in it in the process, you know. That's an okay prayer. (laughs) It's a good way for someone to learn not to come against God's word. There's nothing wrong with a little humility in our enemy's life. I pray for that. In Nehemiah chapter 6, here's what happened. Now it came, or now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshub the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it though at the time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Samballot and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. <laughs> but they thought to do me harm. So I, sent a message, so I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. They're relentless. Satan has nothing new. He's never going to battle you with something different than what he's already used. And Scripture already defines his tactics. We've gone over this a couple times recently, but I'll say it again. Satan's tactics are simple. Question his word. Make sin normal. Make living righteously or looking like God in another way. Make that abnormal and strange to the world. And then isolate people and to self-exalt. That's all he has. It's the same plan over and over again. That's all he does. Those are your four things you fight against. It's fine if you don't understand something in Scripture, but let Scripture interpret Scripture for you. Let it explain itself to you. He's faithful. He does. There's nothing so mysterious that you can't, that he doesn't, later on or somewhere else, explain it to you in a different way. Or say it in different words so you can understand it. Guard yourself against being desensitized to sin in this world, which is the goal. It's normal. It's average. It's what it happens all the time. We lost that battle. and We get used to it and we think, well, that's the new line. No, the line never changed between righteousness and sin. The world's just gone headlong into sin. So understand where that line is. What does God's word say about sin? It doesn't ever change. That line doesn't move. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And finally, when it says that he wants us to live righteously, but the world thinks you're weird for doing so, then do it. Even more so. You just have to be weird. You know? You just have to look odd. You'll have to look strange. and You won't be doing anything different than what you did 10 years ago. And what you did 10 years ago is the same thing. I, I, I carry my Bible to church on Wednesday night. That's something I've done since I got saved. And nobody even says boo about it. But they will now, won't they? 
Look at him carrying his Bible, you know. What's wrong with carrying a, the Bible, you know? It's weird, you know. You're going to pray before dinner in a restaurant? Well, yeah, I'm going to give thanks for God's food. Weird. No, it's not. No, you're weird, you know. <laughs> you're the odd duck. This ends, and it ends on my side. It ends up on God's side, you know. And when it's all said and done, you're going to be the weird ones, you know. And we have to remember that. Just because the world is used to it, just because the world is comfortable with it, just because the world looks at you like you're a strange duck for going to church on Wednesday, doesn't make any difference. All that is is another letter from the enemy saying, are you sure you really want to build these walls? Come and talk with us about this. I mean, let's reason together down in the valley of oh no, you know. Oh no. (laughs) Not going to go. Verse 12. I know that the Lord will maintain and the cause of the afflicted, the justice and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. I know that's what's going to happen, but I'm praying for it. This all started before I go into the next psalm with Ezra. The first time these guys, the enemy, show up, Ezra comes and leads the second wave back, and he's starting to build the temple. And the people of the land who don't know that he's been sent and authorized to do it, the people around Israel see them building this temple and think it's treason, what they're doing. And so they write a letter to the king thinking they're going to thwart this effort and say, did you know these guys are building this? You better you know, put an end to it. And the king says, uh, yeah, put a stop to this until we figure out what's going on. So they do. And he says, in the letter from the enemy, make sure you do a search to find out. Remember, this was done to get rid of these people. and They're building it back up again. If you knew your history, king, well, he does a search. He searches too much for them and figures out, hey, thanks for telling me to do the search. By the way, give them all the materials they need, support them in any way they can, because this is of the God, of the living God, of the nation. <laughs> and they're like, that's not what we thought you were going to say, you know? That's not our plan. It's interesting to see God's hand move in, in, in fun ways. I call it fun because isn't that a fun way to thwart your enemy? You didn't have to get your battle axe out and get your armor on and, you know, and, you know we're going to go to war. You just say, you should write a letter. That's a great idea, you know? And then them get a letter back and say, uh, we're supposed to give you a bunch of trees, I guess, instead of stop your work. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Put them over there, you know, kind of thing. That's just kind of poetic. I like that. When God is our defender and we let him defend us, not that we shouldn't do battle sometimes, but when he steps in and does things like that, it's so much better. It's so much better. Psalm 141. Lord, I cry out to you, or cry, I cry out to you, make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you. as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. It's a good way to start. God, would you hear me, David says. I need you to hear me. And I pray that my my lifting up my hands and my prayers like incense to you, which is a sweet smell, which is very pop. You know, I'm not an incense fan per se. I sometimes go into a house and they'll be burning incense incense and they'll be doing the melty candle thing or whatever, and it's a little strong. You know, it's like they took the glade thing off back in my day, you know, and oh, why? There's a reason there's. (laughs) When it comes to God, he loves that. 
He loves that smell of our prayers. It, uh, it's very pleasing to him. And I think we have to remember that when we pray. It isn't just like when you're speaking to somebody and they don't care what you have to say. We have that happen to us all the time here on earth. There's just people that are like, okay, whatever. And they don't really care what you have to say. When you speak to your Father in heaven, he loves to hear you. And just always remember that, even if it's a dumb prayer, by your definition. Because I've prayed dumb prayers. Oh, God, this is stupid. I don't know how else to say it, but here it goes anyway. And my father never looks down and says, that is a dumb prayer. Never. It's always a sweet-smelling incense to him. And so David says, well, I pray this as a sweet-smelling incense as I lift up my hands to you and pray at the evening sacrifice. Would you set a guard, O oh Lord, over my mouth? A little different, isn't it? Put a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. There's a lot of implications there. I don't think he's talking about food. I think he's talking about wicked men that seem to do well down here. We hear stories of them all the time in the Old Testament. How come the wicked are doing so well? How come they're so rich? How come that? Where's the justice in the world? You know, kind of thing. And he's, David's saying, I, I, I feel like I need to be protected from that temptation to enjoy the fruit of a wicked man's life. You know, even if I'm not the premier wicked guy, but not to join their ranks and say, yeah, that worked out well. That was a good investment. I mean, there's 12 widows on the street, but we got money, you know. Help me not to enjoy the delicacies of wickedness. It's a very dangerous thing. And so his first prayer is, would you set up a, a door over my lips? Careful how I think and how I speak. Don't let my heart be inclined to any evil thing. Like, I don't know. I'm curious about that. I want to examine that. I want to research that, you know. Guard me from that. Verse 5, let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. I pray that if I'm doing something wrong, that a good brother in the Lord who's righteous will come and smack me upside the head. And that's modern day version of that. And I pray I would receive the smack. I got it coming. Bap, you know. David could probably take a pretty good punch. He's been in a lot of battles. But he's just saying, I pray that there are faithful people in my life that'll tell me, you know. And I pray that I would receive it. For still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked, he says. Their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff, and they hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave, and when one plows and breaks up the earth, as one as when one plows and breaks up the earth. My eyes are upon you, O God the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape freely or safely. The thing about traps is there's always bait. That's how you get it. That's how you trap them. That's how you trap a raccoon, a coyote, anything like that. It works for people too. If you want to trap them, you put out bait that's what they're looking for, what their instincts are telling them to, to go after. 
I don't know if you've ever watched an animal. It's probably not a video that you want to watch, but to watch an animal get trapped, it's interesting to watch their instincts say, don't, 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 but they can't help themselves and they stick their paw in anyway. I've got to have it. And you could see them flinch as they're looking at this metal trap, you know, and they're flinching. It's like, dude, trust your instinct. Trust that gut. I can't help it. I got to touch it, you know. Snap. We as Christians really have to be aware of our tendencies and our weaknesses, how our appetites can bring us into a place where everything in me is telling me to run. I got to touch it. Don't. Don't. Psalm 142. I cry to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path in the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see For there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. By myself, God. There are days when you feel like that. and There are days when you don't. But David is feeling that right now. He's in the cave running from Saul. Saul is attacking him and trying to fight him. He's done nothing wrong to Saul except be anointed by God to be the new king. And that's a problem for Saul. So he's in the cave. And this is the time when David cuts off the Part of the Saul's cloak, if you know the story. If you don't, you'll have to read it. We don't have time for it this morning. And regrets doing so. So that gives us a little insight. This psalm gives us insight as to what caused David to go ahead and cut off this piece of Saul's cloak while he's going to the bathroom in the cave, not knowing David is in the cave. David sneaks over, you know, and cuts it off and comes out later on and says, I could have killed you, Saul, but I didn't kill you. And then he felt terrible. It's like, who am I to cut off the, the coat, you know, a piece of the coat of the one who was anointed by God to be king? I should have never done that. Regardless of how he feels about me, I should have never done that to the one who God's picked to be the anointed one. It's God's job to take care of him, to rebuke him, to remove him from his position, not mine. But this is his heart. God, I feel trapped. He's in a cave. He's got 300 guys with him, and he sees Saul's army. I don't know that he's writing down while they're happening, but this is all happening at the same time. I mean, this is a bad place to be. How do you, how do you fight against it? All you have to do is set a fire outside the cave, suck off the oxygen. I mean, you're, you're going to come out running. So he's scared. I'm overwhelmed within me. I don't understand what's happening. Why would you anoint me king and then have me run for my life from the current king? I mean, he doesn't understand it. They're looking for me. They're setting snares. They're talking to people. I don't know who to trust and where to turn. I feel like I'm all by himself. He's not. He's got righteous men with him. He's got 300, but that's not how he feels. And here's what he means. His 300 righteous men that are with him in the cave, they're great guys, but they're not necessarily spiritual. They're as spiritual as David is each day. When David isn't spiritual, they're fine with being carnal like he is. They're all like that, almost all of them. It's a hard thing. David is the leader and the thermometer for the group. You know, If he's feeling hot for the Lord, they're all hot for the Lord. If he's not feeling so great, 
So David can't look to his right hand or to his left hand or to any of these 300 men and say, come on, guys, encourage me, because there isn't any to be given necessarily. He's the one giving it to them. So he goes to where he needs to go to. And guys, I want you to take note of this, you men. Because although you want encouragement from your family and from your wives and from the people around you, understand this. It's you and the Lord. You get your strength from God. You draw your encouragement from him, your bravery from him. And you pass that on to them. They're not supposed to be holding you up. You get from the Lord and you come back and give to them. They need that supply line through you. Just a note. Now they will boo your spirits. They will encourage you, but they're watching you. And you are the thermometer of your family. You are. When you're feeling hot for the Lord, everybody's on fire for the Lord. When you're feeling kind of carnal, everybody follows suit. They just do. As your kids get older, though, when they become teenagers and older and walking with the Lord on their own, they begin to look at you and dad, what in the world? You know, you're getting pretty carnal here, aren't you? Yeah, sorry. You know, they'll correct you a little bit. It doesn't mean they don't need you to go to the Lord to get your strength like David is so that you can give it. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry. For I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. And they were. There was a big army following him. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. I just want this to end, you know. And I bet every one of us has had a prayer like that sometime. Maybe you're having that prayer right now with God. I'm fighting, I'm battling. I am outnumbered. I know you're strong, but I'd like this to end. I want to look back on this. I want to be freed from the prison of my soul, you know. I know I'm out in the wilderness running around and having a great time out here with my 300 friends. Sarcastic. But, but I'd be fine with sitting inside some palace someplace and be surrounded by righteous people. That'd be all right, you know. That's a good prayer. I think we can do one more. You ready? Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness. In other words, according to your will, God, answer these things. Do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in the darkness. Like those who have long been dead. I feel like I'm in a grave in this cave. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. This is not how I want my kingdom to be. This is not what I expected. Um, I'm not enjoying this at all. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. What days is he thinking of? That's just a little shepherd kid. Never doing nothing wrong to nobody, you know? The sheep loved me. Kind of, you know, they ran away from me some days, but for the most part, they stuck around because I was their help and I was a blessing and they understood this new group of people slash sheep are not the same. You know, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. I need some water. I need to be refreshed, God. Answer me speedily, O Lord, 
My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. I need this refreshment now. And he's honest. It's okay. My spirit's failing me. I'm not doing well. Nobody else knows it, maybe. Maybe the 300 guys just see me as this wonderful leader, and they see me saying, yeah, you know, Saul's never going to catch us, because that's what I'm supposed to tell them. But I'm thinking of the days when I didn't have 300 guys to, that were looking to me for guidance. I'm looking at the days when I was just a shepherd boy, and it was just a bunch of sheep, and it was great. You know, I love that time period. I want that back. Does God ever give that to David? Not really. And I think it's important for me and for all of us to understand that maturity, when we get mature, when God brings us to maturity as believers, there's no going back. There's no going back. You know what you know. You're battle-hardened, soft heart, but still battle-hardened. When your antenna go up, when the red flags fly, you may not like it. You may have liked a simpler time when you didn't have to worry about that thing, you know, or those kind of things, but you can't go back. It's your job now to pay attention to the red flags for everybody else around you. It's their time to rest and to be trained up and to do all that. But it's your job to be the mature believer in the room. You don't ever get to fall back on these old times. We want to move forward. And so David is saying, would you help me? I want you to be with me. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I'm, I'm I can't tell this to anybody else. Um, but I, I pray that you'd answer me speedily because I, I feel like my spirit's failing. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. Verse 8. For I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. What's the right thing to do here, God? I'm running from Saul, but is this ever going to end? Am I doing the wrong thing by running to him? Am I supposed to overthrow him? Am I supposed to have a coup against him? That doesn't seem right. That's why I'm running, but I don't know. He's in a place where he's not sure. You know, everybody's in those kind of places sometimes. I thought this was the right path. I just need you to confirm, is it the right path? That's fair. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake, for your righteousness' sake. Bring my soul out of trouble. In other words, I am asking for myself, but I'm also asking for your heritage. Because I know that whatever I do is going to be written down. I know. I know that whatever I do is being watched. And I want to make sure I'm bringing you glory with all of my decisions. I am pleading for my life, but that's only if you want to save my life. He's very careful about his prayer. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake, for your righteousness' sake. Bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. He's trusting in him for deliverance. That's where we'll close this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for David's heart. These are hard songs to write, I can imagine. And yet it was soothing to him. It was almost therapeutic for him to write the things that he was praying to you. Um, because he knew we'd all need this. We'd all be going through battles like this. And you knew that by your spirit. And so you put these in here for us. So Lord, this morning, we take these things to heart in the battles that we're currently fighting. In the warnings that we're getting in the new path maybe you're setting us on. In the old path that we've been walking on for a long time. We want to apply your word now. 
So we pray the same prayer as David did. We want you to be our strength. We want you to deliver us from evil and from snares and traps that are laid out for us. Help us to recognize them and the bait that's out there for us. And help us to just choose the right path so we might bring you glory, to continue to bring you glory in our lives. That's all we want, God. We love you and thank you for your care for us and your love for us. And None of these things moved you necessarily. All these prayers that David prayed are... They're all going to come to pass, and, and, and he's going to get on the throne, and he's going to rule and reign, and he's going to, well, he's going to let your son, anyway, Solomon, build you a temple. It's all going to go really well, for the most part, except for some sin that he commits. And you knew all that. He just needs that sh- assurance from you, like we do this morning. Would you assure us this morning? Bring peace to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, There'll be some people up here glad to pray with you. Um, Otherwise, have a great rest of the week.